my goal was I'm going to be back, which is vaginal birth after cesarean and, you know, really tried hard for that. And I did, but at the end they had to use forceps and they actually had a failed epidural. When they did the epidural, I felt the twinge and I'm like, this isn't working. And come to find out later in the medical records, it was completely a failed epidural. So when I had forceps, it was very painful, like very physically traumatic And then they brought in all these medical students because they thought that this was a really cool procedure. But on the mom, on the patient, it was extremely traumatic because I'm trying for hours to have this baby and to progress the birth and then to have all of these people in there and then kind of having your spouse kind of like, oh, you're good, you're fine, you know? And it was like, no, I'm not fine, you know? So what I would say is if you're a spouse listening and your wife is telling you, the mother's telling you, like, I am not fine. This was really traumatic. Believe her because it is. And if that's their experience, that's their experience. Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life. But for many mums and dads, it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to Season 2 of Blue Mum Days, the podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. All the stories shared here are from the heart. These are real conversations and may be triggering, so please listen with discretion. Today's episode covers birth trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, and suicide. We will also signpost you to help in the show notes. Thank you. This episode was recorded during the spring of 2022. Today's guest is Amy Lee Looper, who is a maternal leadership coach based in the United States. She joins me today from Arizona. Amy turned founder in 2020 after spending almost two decades in enterprise software sales, where she was a senior sales leader, having generated over $50 million in revenue as a cybersecurity and healthcare software professional. After landing the number one rep for over four organizations within that field, Amy landed her largest promotion to the title Working Mother. Having experienced postpartum depression with both of his children, Amy is now tackling maternal mental health, where she is bringing all of her knowledge and drive to coaching individuals. Her maternal leadership program, Postpartum Coaching with Heart, is designed to reduce fear and anxiety, create more connection, clarity, confidence, and growth. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amy. How is the weather where you are? Oh, it's beautiful, Becky. We're in Arizona, so it's starting to become warm and people are starting to get back into the pool. It's wonderful. It's a good time to come on vacation. (laughs) Oh, fabulous. It's a beautiful early spring afternoon here. Not quite as as warm as where it is where you are, but beautiful blue sky, no clouds. So all good. And I have to apologize to both Amy and any listeners out there. I have just fed my Siamese cat Brandy in the hopes that he would be quiet, but he's, (laughs) I can hear him outside my door shouting. So um, yeah, huge apologies if you hear him meowing in the background but hopefully fingers crossed he'll be nice and quiet anyway Amy it sounds like you had a really successful career before becoming a mom can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what life was like for you before you had your children yeah so life you know was um like kind of a a typical American corporate working mom I was working up the ladder in corporate um, sales landed a promotion into sales leadership. And so I traveled a lot and, um, you know, was working with about 10 sales reps around the country at that time. So it was, a, it was good. We were, we were newlyweds with two dogs and careers. <laughs> was pregnancy something you were planning for? Were you wanting to start a family or did things just happen? organically yeah Yeah. they definitely happened organically for us both times we were blessed (laughs) and I think we were given these blessings against by all of our human design but yeah we were blessed with our daughter Ava first and then followed up a couple of years later by our daughter Emily fabulous so how did you feel when you first found out you were pregnant with your first daughter Yeah, I had just gotten promoted to being a sales manager, which I was really working towards 
I had been a top performing rep in our company, but I knew that I really had this calling to lead people and to really coach people. I just really loved to put those mom arms around people and help them get to the next level of performance that they wanted to go. But I remember the day that I found out I was pregnant with Ava and such a happy moment, such a oh my gosh, what are we going to do as first time parents moment? It's a big surprise for sure. How was that first pregnancy? Were you well during it or did you have any sort of problems like morning sickness? Yeah, we had a high risk pregnancy actually with that one. So it went really well the first trimester. The second trimester, I was in California actually traveling for work and I had a bleeding episode and went into the hospital there. And soon to find out I had something they call placenta previa. I didn't realize how serious it was until I was in the hospital for three days. And you really have to limit mobility to make sure the baby does not arrive so early. And it was only 19 weeks. So we knew we had to keep her in just as as long as possible. And so my husband rushed up on an emergency flight. He had to come get me. The doctors were talking about how we were even going to have to maybe even drive home versus fly home, which was like a 17 hour drive. Yeah. So to not have any sudden movement, I had to be in a wheelchair. They actually let us go and discharged us and let us fly home. But we had to tell the pilot the scenario in case something happened and they would have to land the plane for us if needed. And so we made it successfully back to Arizona. And then I went on bed rest for three months. It wasn't that I had to lay in bed all the time, but I had to stay home and I couldn't really leave. So that was difficult to be once traveling all the time and a go-getter and outside of my home to now being like inside of my home for a really long time. Wow. So COVID pandemic lockdown was nothing compared to... (laughs) Wow. So that sounds like an extremely stressful occurrence. So one minute you're working as normal at work, you're traveling, and then you're rushed into a hospital. I mean, obviously for any woman, if you experience bleeding during your pregnancy, it's really stressful and alarming because especially if it's your first, you don't understand what's happening. So mentally, that must have been incredibly tough for you. It was tough. It was tough. I didn't realize how tough it was. And I think it all kind of came together after I had Ava. She was actually born with something called a tongue tie. And I don't know what your experience is with tongue ties at all, but they don't catch them regularly, especially here in the United States. And so oftentimes what happens is you figure out that your baby is not breastfeeding as smoothly as one could hope. You're not sleeping as the mom. And so the sleep deprivation And everything really caught up with me after all of that um, series of bed rest. And then I had a C-section with Ava and then went into a lengthy period of trying to breastfeed. And it was a couple of months in where you just, you know, as a career achievement oriented kind of personality, you place a lot of stress internally on yourself to do the best that you can at things. And when something doesn't work out, you certainly, your mind can go to, I'm a failure. When in fact, the outside conditions are just a challenge, right? And so we went through that and it ended up really, you know, forming into postpartum depression after all of those different scenarios, because it was just a high stress period and never feeling like you could just get into a good rhythm until several months after the baby was born. I know so many women are listening to that and identifying with some of those things that you're talking about. I know for an awful lot of women who have been through postpartum or postnatal depression tend to be high achieving, successful women in their own fields and who have a lot of control over their lives. And then obviously when baby comes along, you don't have as much control and you can take it very personally when you're struggling with those challenges and especially with something like breastfeeding which can be extremely triggering and I think your point about tongue tie is you know it's a huge factor in difficulties with breastfeeding 
I mean, I'm, I'm no medical professional, but from my understanding, it can make feeding very difficult. So babies not as satisfied because they're not getting as much milk. It's right. very painful for you because you're constantly trying to change your latch and because things aren't flowing as they should be. It can be a very unpleasant and painful experience as opposed to something that when it's working well, breastfeeding can be the most lovely thing in the world. Yeah. So, wow, a lot, a lot going on. Are you comfortable to talk about the birth experience with Ava? Yeah, definitely. How was that experience for you? Yeah, the birthing experience with Ava was a breeze compared to my second one. <laughs> you know, having a C-section, I, I came from medical sales. And so I was always kind of interested in the whole surgery aspect of it. So that for me was easy. I thought it was pretty, pretty actually neat to go through a C-section. I had pain medication. It wasn't painful. Afterwards, those of you who've had a C-section, you probably can remember taking your first shower, the first walk down the hallway after a C-section. And that, that is a little bit of a traumatic experience just because it's, you know, you've had major abdominal surgery. But yeah, my second birth of my daughter was where it was pretty traumatic birthing, birthing trauma in the birthing room. I'm so sorry to hear about that. So what sort of support did you have around you when you first had Ava? Did you feel like you had, you know, good support from your partner? Yeah, yeah, I did. I felt like I had good support with the first one. And I will just share that I had good support from them. I had good support from an au pair once I got back to work and we transitioned into that. It was really with the second daughter because what happened in between both of my pregnancies, and I talk about this openly with folks, is I had a very close family member actually commit suicide on my husband's side of the family. And it really was difficult for everybody to just wrap their hands around that sudden situation. And then we had lost my mother-in-law shortly after that as well. And so the whole family just really was taken into their attention was to that spot. And so I really had to keep things together with my second new baby and the first one. And that was really difficult mentally because, you know, we had had a second surprise child. She was definitely a surprise. We found out on my husband's 40th birthday. I said, happy birthday. We're having another one. (laughs) And, um, and then we worked through that, but that was really tough. I would say for any of you experiencing postpartum depression and you felt like your spouse maybe wasn't able to just be emotionally there for you, that can definitely contribute to that experience of postpartum depression and anxiety. My goodness. It sounds like you've had everything thrown Uh, (laughs) we really did we did but you know what we've overcome it so it's it's a testament to just you know you got to keep going and keep overcoming the little challenges that come up yeah and that you do get there you know a lot of listeners listening to the podcast now potentially feel at rock bottom and feel that they can't see any way out of what they're going through but we're here as testimony to the fact that you will get better and you will not always feel as as low as you you do you chatting to me today and looking fabulous and so bright and confident is just proof of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I think these things can also bring your marriages together too. It doesn't always have to end up in divorce, separation, all those things that sometimes in the early days, you really, you know, I think every couple goes through their growth period too. And so if you really lean in with love and start to lead with love versus all the other distractions that just naturally come up, then you can be brought back together. It might take some time. It took us a while, but you can definitely come back around. That's another great point because it's so easy, especially in the early days when you're both absolutely sleep deprived. You know, if my husband would say he was tired and I would go straight into the welcome to my world, which is really uncompassionate to how he's feeling because of course as a partner any birth partner also has all the effects and the major transition of having a little one in their life and the sleep deprivation and so I think yeah if you're able to just speak to each other with love and compassion and I know in the early days it feels very hard you know you can feel like passing ships in the night where you're going to bed at eight o'clock in the in the evening to get ahead ready for waking up during the night but you do get your relationship back and you do get your evenings back it's just a temporary period of time 
so my goodness you had so much to deal with obviously when you know the, the tragic death in the family did you feel you didn't have a place or space to talk about how you were feeling with everything yeah, I definitely didn't feel heard just because when your spouse is going through that kind of trauma as well sometimes it feels like well, we've already been through this like you're you know we're having a, a baby like sometimes your emotions are dismissed and what happened with the birth of my daughter uh, Emberly, my second one I had you know back labor for the last couple of months I'm sure some of you have been in that situation where your baby's maybe posterior and kind of looking towards your back a little bit that can be very uncomfortable for the final weeks but when we went into um, actually giving birth I was really determined to try to prevent postpartum depression. Again, at that point, I didn't know what I know now where you can't necessarily um, prevent postpartum depression, but my goal was I'm going to be back, which is vaginal birth after cesarean and, you know, really tried hard for that. And I did, but at the end they had to use forceps and they actually had a failed epidural. When they did the epidural, I felt the twinge and I'm like, this isn't working. And come to find out later in the medical records, it was completely a failed epidural. So when I had forceps, it was very painful, like very physically traumatic. Yeah. And so, you know, they brought, and then they brought in all these medical students because they thought that this was a really cool procedure, but on the mom, on the patient, it was extremely traumatic because I'm trying for hours to have this baby and to progress the birth and then to have all of these people in there and then kind of having your spouse kind of like, oh, you're good. You're fine. You know? And it was like, no, I'm not fine. You know? So what I would say is if you're a spouse listening and your wife is telling you, the mother is telling you, like, I am not fine. This was really traumatic. Believe her because it is. And if that's their experience, that's their experience. Oh my goodness. Um, so yeah, so that was a position I was in there. And so I ended up having PTSD for four and a half years um, because I just, I felt dismissed. We had other stuff going on. We were just trying to keep careers going and everything else. So I didn't really take care of it right away, but eventually really started to work on like EMDR therapy, worked on my own leadership internally of emotion management, and really started to process through a lot of those big traumatic events. And I just needed to give myself space to do that, to recognize if these things happen, um, but you can process through it and get to the other side. So for anybody listening that doesn't know what PTSD and EDM are, Oh, can you just explain a little bit about those, please? Yeah, so PTSD is post-traumatic stress, and it's your body's uh, response to a traumatic event, right? Oftentimes we hear of soldiers and folks like that getting it after being in war. It can also happen after traumatic, um, if you're in like a car accident or some kind of uh, or giving birth, traumatic birth injury. I mean, these things happen and it's just your body goes into fight or flight mode and you're always in this constant anxiety. And sometimes you get constant reoccurring visions of the trauma. So for me, I would always like anytime, you know, we intimacy or anything like in the pelvic area would kind of like bring me back to being in the birthing room again. Or I'd have constant thoughts about it whenever I got stressed throughout the day and I would automatically go back into reliving that experience in my brain again. And so you're just constantly stuck in this cycle of just reliving those moments. And it's like your mind is just trying to process through it, but you get stuck on just looking at it a certain way and dwelling on like the pain of that situation versus just realizing like it happened in the past, it's done <laughs> and you're safe now. And so you kind of have to retrain your brain into really realizing like you're safe and you're okay at this moment in time. And is it EDMR? Yes, EMDR. And it's a type of um, therapy where they focus on just retraining your brain on looking at different movements of the therapist's hand. And it can kind of move you out of, just move your brain out of constantly reprocessing a certain memory in time that can be really, really painful. And you start to just kind of like move away from it. So it's, it's a therapeutic method that's used. This is the one where you sort of follow the finger. Yes. Yeah. And if I'm right in understanding this, it's 
allowing your brain to file away that traumatic memory in a way that can't keep repeating on a loop, you know, where you're getting these awful flashbacks. Put it in a box and put it in its place on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. So my goodness. Wow. So many traumatic (laughs) events from that, that birth, having the epidural fell for a start, extremely painful, but also mentally when you're going through that and you're expecting that moment of release and relief to then be told we got to carry on you know how did that make you feel yeah I mean you just felt oh my gosh at that point it's like we need to get the baby out we need to get the baby out and as long as she's safe that's great but I have this picture of me holding Emberly and I forced a smile on but behind that was literally like it was just seconds after she was you know taken out and wrapped up and everything Looking at that picture now, I can just see the trauma was still, you know, just like you're in shock. I remember holding her going, I'm so glad that you're out and you're safe. But I also, at the same time, I just forced a smile for a picture quick. And then I was like, get this baby off of me. I need her off of me now because my body was processing all the pain. And I was like, I literally, um, you know, forceps kind of feel like you're like a Halloween pumpkin for lack of a better term. Like it's really a crazy experience. And so processing all of that it was like I can't deal with that I need to deal with me like I need to make sure that I'm okay <laughs> and take a pause you know so if any of you have been in those traumatic experiences where you're like I should love my baby and be all all happy it doesn't always happen that way and it's okay because you're you'll get past it and you'll eventually get back into the groove where you want to snuggle your baby but for a few minutes there it's natural for your body to just have the walls up and be like everybody get away (laughs) it sounds like you're still in fight and flight mode oh totally yeah and suddenly you know you're at your most vulnerable and then a wave of medical students come in were you consulted about that I was asked and this is where I kind of wish I I knew more about doulas at the time because I was in labor that wasn't really progressing and it was like two hours in and I'm asked like real quick by the nurse with the tap of a shoulder as I'm trying to like, you know, they're telling me to look in this mirror and push better and blah, blah, blah. I had all this stuff going on. And then you've got this nurse asking me like, Hey, would it be okay if the medical students came in like to watch the forceps or whatever? And I'm like, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> right. And so I feel like it was poor timing. Because just seeing as many people that they brought in, like I thought, oh, one or two, okay, fine. But then like, I'm screaming, like thinking, I'm literally screaming, I'm dying as this stuff is happening, right? And then I just saw all these people in there just looking. And I remember seeing the horror on some of their faces because they're like looking at what they're, you know, and I could see in the mirror what was happening. And I was like, I was in horror. Everybody was like, you know, and I'm like, I'm dying. (laughs) So it was this big traumatic thing where I feel like medical providers really have an opportunity to think more about the patient. Well, yes, we want to learn from these things. And I understand I used to work with doctors all the time. Like I understand the medical side of it, but the patient's mental health needs to be prioritized. And we have gaps in our healthcare system for sure. My goodness. Yeah, absolutely. And what a thing for you to have experience you know again it's further invalidation of you as an individual and just to make the point as well that if you're traumatized by your birth irrespective of whether there was a medical emergency irrespective of whether your life was in danger or your baby's life was in danger if Uh it felt traumatic to you that is a traumatic birth and you are entitled to get support to help process that trauma and it is not your fault if you're struggling to get beyond that experience but you know again you're living proof that you can move on from something as painful as that very well said Becky like if you're traumatized that it's true like you have been traumatized but you can get through it and your partner because obviously he witnessed a very traumatic event of that he was also still processing the grief and all the mixed emotions Mm -hmm. that come with losing his mother is that right both parents both parents so 
Wow. How was his mental health at the time as well? Yeah. At that point, I think it was those deaths happened after Amber's birth. And so, you know, we, or no, it was in between. I'm sorry. It was in between. So he was not really there emotionally, I would say very emotionally distant, right? Where it's just kind of discounting the trauma and, oh, this, you know, you're okay. Like it wasn't that big, it's over with, right? Um, so it's just one of those things where now he recognizes, you know, after a lot of work that we've done as a couple, recognizing that those things are real and that your spouse really needs support um, emotionally, you know, during these times for sure. So when you first came home mm-hmm. with, with your new daughter, was Ava a toddler at the time? Yeah, she was two. They're two years apart. Yeah. So she was kind of probably just about able to get a sense of, oh my goodness, I'm a big girl now, you know, exactly. I'm a big sister. How yeah. was returning home for you after such a, a terrifying experience? Yeah, I really kind of put it away in a box for a while. Um, you know, I put it away in a box, just kind of kept going again. We went through the same thing with Emily, the tongue tie experience, but at least this time I knew how to deal with that. Uh, and then, you know, then I realized just like how big of a deal it was. And then I, I just said, you know what, I, I can't keep going in the corporate world and doing all this without some help. So that's when I started to do some EMDR therapy. Um, But for a lot of years, I think I carried the burden of all of it, um, including what happened in our family, like on my shoulders. And I didn't, I didn't give myself credit um, for the fact that maybe there was some neglect going on. And so that really kind of presented itself over the last couple of years. I'm like, okay, no, I'm going to actually take my power back and realize we've been carrying a lot of stuff and I need a break. You know, I think when moms start to realize their worth and that they are worthy for, you know, prioritizing their health, mental and physical, I think that's a big turning point in anybody's recovery. Wow. Again, this is all resonating hugely. And yeah, certainly the episode that's gone live of Blue Mum Days with uh, the phenomenal Christina Brown of Motivational Mums Club. And Mm. she talks about same issues about giving yourself grace and just giving yourself time to be still and to process Mm -hmm. and to just stop for a moment of you know being the one that's supporting everybody and doing everything for everybody else but give yourself time and self-care because you know you you, (laughs) you're doing an awful lot and I do feel that we as mums tend to put ourselves last yeah in terms of the hierarchy of needs in the family yeah so did you feel that you were coming down with postpartum illness immediately again or did it feel different this time because it was actually PTSD yeah it felt like PTSD for sure and then um, just a heightened like anxiety which really manifested over the years into just kind of an anxiety, you know, symptoms of anxiety and excess worry that carried into my work. And then at the beginning of um, 2020, you know, I had an amazing career with a global cybersecurity firm and I was, you know, kicking butt on the performance and the revenue performance, but I wasn't really managing the emotional side of it. And I wasn't really managing, you know, the stress between, um, you know, colleagues and just, always having to be on busy, busy, busy. And so, you know, in March of 2020, it was like we parted ways and I did not go back into the corporate grind. I said, you know what? And even my husband was like, let's support you in giving you space to create what you want to create and really align with what you really want to do as a mom, because as a mom, you just change, you know, some women change more than others, but you, you know, your, your um, desires often change your identity. It kind of just shifts a little bit once you become a mom and your requirement in life changes. Obviously you have human beings to raise. So I really contribute the journey through entrepreneurialism and saving my own life. It really helps me get back into that creation zone and have the space to work on mental wellness and giving myself grace. Wow. So you've been in a seismic shift then 
you know, with the pandemic. Was this feeling happening before the pandemic or did that exacerbate your decision to say, right, enough, I'm, I'm coming off the hamster wheel? For me, the pandemic didn't really affect it um, because it was right at the cusp of that, but it all kind of came together, right? The world events kind of met with like all the craziness that had been happening in my life over the last few years. So it was really, you know, divine timing to be able to support in that way, because then soon after, of course, school shut down and everything else. So that flexibility was such a blessing on our family gosh yeah if every time I hear you you speak I just think my gosh there's so many questions I have you know and that I want to to cover off I think one of the really interesting points you made just then is about how you change your priorities change your perceptions Mm -hmm. of what is important and what is not important in life Mm -hmm. changes when you become a mom and do you think a lot of very career focused women actually find that a, a sort of rude awakening when they actually have their family in terms of that change, you know, that they aren't yeah. that person anymore. Yeah, I do. And a lot of my clients uh, that I coach now come from that. They either come from high performance careers and selling, or maybe they were in a C-level executive kind of um, position or heading towards that position because they're just, um, either really, you know, if you look at the quadrants of the personality, right, you have people that are controllers, promoters, some people that are supporters and very analytical. And a lot of the folks that are kind of that controller promoter style just really thrive. Their energy thrives on achievements and, you know, um, doing really amazing things in life. And so they put a lot of extra pressure on themselves to get to that next level. And I think motherhood sometimes can be a really hard shift because as a mother, what do you do? You're a supporter. You have to really get in there and like, you know, be there for your kids. You kind of have to really flex to whatever mood and personality you're trying to work through with your children. And if you're on a conference call trying to do that with the kids and different things, right, then it can be really, really overwhelming um, because you kind of just have this sense of I'm not doing what I should be doing in the corporate world, 110%. Right. Um, And so working through some of those feelings and really understanding what do I want as a mom? Oftentimes that question I think comes up with a lot of people during that transition. Yeah. And I think as well, that there's so many women that go on maternity leave and think, okay, I'm going to go back into work sort of within x amount of months um but then the whole world's view changes when they have their their baby and and some feel yep absolutely you know can't wait to get back into work mode um and others actually completely change what they want out of life when they they have their child but I think you're absolutely right and this this whole sort of work culture that we have in the 21st century where you're always on you know you've got to work harder faster have a side hustle do all these things have a great profile build your brand it's all about achievement and you know being the best the fastest having the most amount of likes having the best social media profile and when you're a mom you don't have accreditation like that You know, nobody says to you at the end of the day, you did really well today by just surviving. You know, you've had four and a half hours of sleep. You have had multiple nappy clothes changes. You've been puked on five times (laughs) today. Do you know what I mean? You know, getting out of the house was a massive achievement. But nobody says anything like that. You know, there's no sense of appreciation or validation for how hard you're working as a mom yeah yeah it's just kind of expected right it's like we all want careers and society is the two you know working household uh, which I'm nothing against at all we, we do that in my household but yeah the recognition isn't always there and sometimes you know it get it gets better when your kids get older and they can actually talk and tell you how grateful they are and they do especially when they're little but um, yeah, and then we tell you like, mom, that was a great diaper change today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really <laughs> Nobody smashed that out of the park. That. 
Well, I, you know, I, I even remember when I was in the throes of postnatal depression, starting like a little bullet point list of all the things I did in this one particular day because I felt so, so much of a failure as a mum. And I remember months later finding that list and there was about 30 things on it. You know, it's like I went for an hour and a half long walk. I went to a baby group that I didn't want to go to because I didn't want to leave the house, you know, and yeah. all these things. I looked back and I just thought, my God, you know, I was overachieving and yeah. still feeling useless. And, you know, that is part yeah. of what the illness does to you, isn't it? It robs you of your sense of self-esteem. Yeah, it does. And so if you can kind of, you know, the thing that helped me bring me back to really myself and not getting caught up in the hustle culture that you just explained was really making sure that I was getting like the 10 to 15 minutes with each one of my children one-on-one to really be present, like turning off the cell phone, not paying attention to all the things, the lists in your head, right? The mom lists of the to-dos and really like just playing with them. And then I started to really heal through that. And I started to realize, okay, if I'm consistently being present with my kids, I feel more valuable. I'm getting like that mom time that I need and they need from me. And then I really started down this journey of exploring what do you really want and being truthful to myself, not just giving people what I thought they wanted to hear or what I thought was right to hear, but really like standing in my my power of my own truth of like, actually, I don't want to sell in this environment. <laughs> I don't want to do this corporate job right now. Like maybe at some point in the future, but like for this season, I'm going to be really super raw and honest and live it. Cause it's one time you get one shot at this. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> you're really speaking to me. Um, because again, I, you know, very different circumstances but I I definitely reevaluated what I wanted out of life and what gave me joy and I left quite a high stress pressure job and whilst there was elements of it I loved you know it was just really impacting yeah. my work-life balance and I'm so much happier now and you know funnily enough creating this podcast and sharing incredible stories like yours this is what's making my heart sing. You know, this means more to me than winning any awards for creative work. This feels so much more important. And um, yeah, I'm very privileged that you chose to share your story with us. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I mean, gosh, so many different things I want to ask you about. Um, so with this big change, was your partner supportive of that? Because, I mean, your identity was all wrapped up in your career for such a long time and and all the achievements of your career he was in fact I will say it was shocking that he kind of led led that a little bit and really encouraged me like you're not happy you know he'd ask me are you happy I'm like oh yeah no I'm happy right I'm in sales I'm really good at selling myself on like things (laughs) and he's like no you're not you're not happy at all and it was like okay I'm not but I didn't know I like at that point this was two years ago. Like I literally would stand there and I'd be in, I went through a leadership training shortly after becoming an entrepreneur. And one of the questions was like, what do you want? And I couldn't answer it. I was a blank wall going, I have no clue what I want. And it was there. It was in there the whole time, but it really took a long time to like get all the layers off to really recognize it myself right? Because I was so caught in my brain of like, what do I need to do? We have bills, you know, like I have a career, we got, you know, all the things that you think about, but it took a long time to really figure that out, like months. And then finally realized, okay, it's actually in your journey and your story that everything kind of comes together into what you're supposed to do. And so that's why I'm doing what I do now. So did you have a eureka moment where you suddenly had an epiphany of like, wow, this is my calling. This is what I want to do. Yeah. And it was really relieving of like, I had to go through, if I didn't go through all of those things, I couldn't relate to as many people as I am able to impact now. And so now I can make such a bigger impact. Um, You know, I work with women all over the globe. I work with corporations as well. And so like the best of both worlds of really just helping people through some of those difficult times and employers learning 
what, how they can really support working mothers because working mothers are not going away. We're going to continue to have careers and do really amazing things in both professional and personal lives. And so how can we really support that? I think that's such an important thing because something I've banged on about in the past when I'm speaking at events is about, you know, Mm -hmm. the value of the working mom and how giving birth doesn't make you less good at your job. It actually makes you better at your job because you're so productive. You're so focused when you're in that work frame of mind. And, you know, think of all the skills like multitasking, negotiation skills. If you've negotiated with a toddler, you can deal with any difficult personality in the workplace. And it's really important that our employers actually give us the credit we deserve and give us the support we need and the flexibility we might need in order to to do our best for them and do the best for our families as well. Yeah, most definitely. So tell us a bit about the work that you're doing. It means an awful lot to you. And I love the fact, again, like so many of my other guests, you're taking what was a very negative experience and a very painful experience right. and created something incredibly empowering and positive out of that. Yeah, yeah. It's been amazing to create it and share my stories with folks because once you share your story, you know, I think, I think this was one of the blessings from the pandemic is that people are starting to really put focus and value around mental wellness. And so it's removing the stigma from, um, you know, a lot of mothers have gone through these things, but they have really felt like they had to suffer in silence and not use their voice and not share their stories you know, very close family member of mine even said, you can't ever share your story. You're going to hurt someone. And it's like, no, actually we should share our stories because it brings together community and we're all in this together. So we can support and understand that postpartum depression and anxiety happens. It is not anything that you should feel guilty or shameful for at all. And you really cannot control and prevent it. Like if it's going to, to come on for whatever reason, We can really be in our best health, but those are the kind of things that I do is I help really raise awareness around postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, And when women are going through it, or they, maybe they've gone through it and it's could be a couple of years later that they don't really recognize that that's what it was or what they're continuing to experience. um, You know, we really help break them through. So I have a program that really helps, you know, support them and breaks them through within um, a very quick amount of time, like within even just a few months to be able to, you know, redesign their vision. And even sometimes they have to spend some time creating a vision because maybe they have neglected that space in their life. And I also work with a lot of entrepreneurs where, you know, we're doing things like helping build businesses and and helping entrepreneurs, uh, working moms really break through to their next performance level. And so there's both that leadership and that revenue growth performance um, that's part of it as well. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of previously successful women Mm -hmm. um, that returning to work after having a child can be, especially having suffered perinatal illness or anxiety, it can be really frightening and daunting about sort of stepping back into that world and how that's going to go. So are you sort of helping mums back into that workplace? Most definitely, most definitely, yeah. And figuring out what that looks like for them, right? Because I think that's the turning point and that's the greatest opportunity you have is to really, you know, return to something that you want to do and that you feel empowered to do because motherhood will become heavy at some points. It is an extra responsibility. And so your energy as an individual will be so much higher and so much more effective in any workplace, whether it's for someone else or for your own business, when you're totally aligned to it. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got your voice and you're not afraid to step into your power. Yeah. And Obviously, I'm absolutely fascinated from the point of view that your experience is very much about the perinatal mental health system Mm -hmm. within America. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I do think, you know, over here, the NHS, there is a five year program where there is a lot of investment in terms of like mother and baby units, which are much, much needed. But there are still an awful lot of women and, you know, men, because one in 10 dads develops postpartum depression yeah yeah um that 
there's still a lot of people that are falling through the cracks. There was still a lot of misunderstanding. There are still a lot of myths and, and stigma surrounding PND and related illnesses um, that, you know, you somehow brought it upon yourself or it's something you can control. And it's not, it's totally indiscriminate. What is the belief system attached to postpartum over in America? Yeah, I, I still think there's a big gap there. Um, there's a lot of stigma still around, um, you know, postpartum depression being being uh, of importance. And the reason why I say that, even though it's coming up more in our current um, government administration, there's there's some different bills out there that they're trying to pass to support uh, maternal mental health in general. Um, and, and there's definitely some programs, um, you know, with, with folks on Medicaid and, and some of these different um, government funded programs to support more like postpartum touches, whether that be communication from your doctor via phone call or text messaging and in different ways, right? But there's still a big gap and there's a big gap with women, especially professional women, who are not necessarily on those types of healthcare programs and they're using, you know, private insurance and there's just not support unless you go and seek it yourself. And so that's where the education piece comes in. And, um, you know, when you're going through prenatal classes, postpartum depression is sometimes touched on, not always. And if it is touched on, it's a very light level. And so it, the education isn't necessarily consistent. And then within the healthcare, you know, OBGYNs and obstetrics, there's more and more education happening for those doctors. And there's a big focus on trying to educate them because even in med school, they spend less than 30 minutes actually learning about perinatal mood disorders. Wow. And 30 minutes. That was eye-opening. I mentored with Dr. Shoshana Bennett, um, who is one of the top perinatal psychologists in, in the world. And she just so happens to live near me and we were able to form a, a you know, a mentor mentorship partnership. And when she mentioned that statistic, only 30 minutes or less in their whole education around perinatal mood disorders, I was just shocked, but it explained my own experience going through a traumatic birth. And I thought, well, this is why they're just, they just don't realize, mm-hmm. you know, it's not intentional but it's an outcome that's unfortunately happening because they're just so focused on the outcome of birth rates and and things like that. So, and obviously, you know, for any healthcare professional, my my goodness, they're so stretched and they have so much, so stretched, so much pressure and responsibility. So we're absolutely not um, accusing them of things, but I think there is hopefully room to better educate how you know damaging words can be and how damaging um not being validated in the birth experience can be yes and it isn't just affecting the the birthing mother it's Mm -hmm. affecting the whole family potentially including Mm -hmm. the children and something in the UK I know we're looking now more at the effect on the family rather than a single Mm -hmm. individual and that can have ramifications you know, going on for years. So it is really important to make the the birth as caring and compassionate as possible. Yeah. And then, and then just forming the communities, right. For the support as we don't expect, um, you know, surgeons and OBGYNs to really be able to just carry on that kind of support with their patients long-term, but being able to bring in resources regularly. And there's a big shortage of those resources in the United States right now for um, mental wellness overall, let alone a very specific niche of, you know, perinatal mental wellness. So as that continues to grow, I think we'll see better outcomes, but there's definitely a need for more folks to focus on it. And so you were saying that there's a gap in terms of private insurance. So, because obviously, you know, we have the NHS over here, but in Mm -hmm. America, you have to pay for all your medical care. Is that right? Or you take out insurance for it right you have and then you have um it covers a portion of it right yeah yeah. so a lot of people are having to pay private insurance so if they seek support again there's a financial burden yeah definitely so you know you'll have um some providers that accept insurance and some providers 
are electing not to accept insurance anymore and it's private pay. So either way, there will be a cost, whether either through a deductible um, you know, payment, co-pays and things like that through insurance, or it's just private pay. And oftentimes, you know, it's, there's not a lot of difference depending on your plan. So yeah, there's definitely a financial burden. It's not just, it's not just covered. Yeah. Um, what about the mums that are from less privileged backgrounds who, you know, that sort of financial cost, it's just, they cannot prioritize spending that much on themselves. Yeah. I mean, there, so over 75% of women never actually um, seek help for postpartum depression, uh, oh which is goodness. in the United States. Yeah. So it's a big percentage. And oftentimes, just like my story, right? When you first have your baby, you're just trying to take care of your baby. You don't have time or you don't feel like you have time to be able to prioritize some of these things, um, unless it's a really big mental health event that maybe requires, you know, hospitalization or immediate care. Um, but, um, you know, these other instances oftentimes it lingers for many years. Um, but we have to keep in mind that if you, if you've had a baby and now you're struggling with depression and anxiety at any point in your motherhood, not just a year after having a baby, but at any point it is postpartum. So, you know, postpartum depression, and anxiety can really linger and manifest into different things. You might see that your marriage, you know, for us, it was like big red flags when career and marriage started to really kind of break down. It was like, okay, we need to go figure some things out uh, on both parties. But for me, it was really kind of figuring out and, and working through some of the traumas that had happened early on um, giving birth. Thank you so much for, for being, you know, talking about it with such honesty. One thing that I know when we chatted previously, when, when we first talked before arranging the interview, you also talked about you had been visiting women in shelters who were homeless and who were having babies. And it was quite an eye-opening experience for you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, there's a, you know, a few women's shelters here in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and I um, was able to, to talk to a few of them. And you know what I, it was so amazing to see how self-aware these women were, and they were going through, you know, traumatic experiences, right? I mean, they're in a shelter just giving birth to a baby and they, they don't really have their own home, right? And there's probably a lot of uncertainty um, in their lives. But the self-awareness and accountability that each of them brought into the conversation was just amazing and uh, really left an impact on me thinking, wow, you know, I, I came from very, uh, you know, middle class, well off as far as um, having a home and very stable environment and things like that financially. And just to realize that there's people out there that really are dealing with a lot of these life changes. And I was just, um, I was just blown away by their leadership. They were really good leaders, I felt like in that group. So what would you like to see being done in order to improve the system? If you had three sort of magic wishes um, for yeah. making change in America? Well, I think we need, you know, in prenatal education, I think we need to have, you know, just like we have big focus on, um, you know, uh, lactation consulting, breastfeeding, all of those kind of issues, sleep, um, uh, sleeping patterns and, and different things like that. I think we need to really incorporate education around perinatal mood disorders um, into it. So that's number one. Um, and then number two, I think, you know, in, in corporate America, I think we need to do more training for uh, leaders and managers to really understand how we can best support mothers, because from the time that they give notice that they're pregnant, that's oftentimes a very anxious time for a working mother, because they don't, they don't want to let their team down, they don't want to they're not sure. Are they going to get fired? Like there's this misconceptions that have happened over the generations that, oh my gosh, when should we tell our employer that we're actually going to be having a baby? And there's almost a shame that's brought up. Right. And I just think, gosh, this is not a shameful moment. And a lot of, a lot of leaders, um, 
you know, maybe uh, perhaps you work in a male dominated industry. And so it brings on extra pressure there. But when, once you have the conversation, you may realize that you actually have a lot more support than you think. So it's kind of helping both the employee and the employer come together in a proactive way in those kind of conversations and career planning. And then when they return to work, obviously, you know, supporting and making sure that they're in the right position and uh, if they're returning to a high performance position, making sure that they're um, supported as they ramp back in to the workplace, because after 12 weeks, we only take 12 weeks off or less. A lot of cases, people go back after six to eight weeks in America after having wow. a baby. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My <laughs> God. It's yeah. real, right? Right. So your body and your mind, like it's like this, oh, we have a baby, we have to get back at it. It's not the healthiest of situations. That is really shocking because in the UK, I would say it's more like six months to a year that you take off. And even then you might not feel ready to go back to work. So, wow, that's a huge adjustment. And then you're thrown back into work. That's very tough. But that's the reality on the American woman. Some people don't even have the maternity leave um, because of whatever their situation is. And so they feel like, oh, I'm just going to go back after a few weeks. And oh, I did oh my, my heart goes out to them. I don't know how they do it. I really don't because your body is going through such physical changes. You're, you're recovering. Um, and, and you also want time with your baby that you just gave birth to, like, you know, we kind of have these babies for a reason. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, we want that time with them to form a bond with them and routines, et cetera. So yeah, the American uh, working mom uh, really kind of shifts really quick um, back into this uh, hustle culture to just keep hustling. Now it's hustle as a mom, but you have all these additional responsibilities. And again, it's that thing, you know, when we were told, oh, we can have it all. Actually, yeah. is that serving us? you know yeah exactly it's I like, often ask that question careful what you wish for yeah at what cost yeah <laughs> and then I think three it's really standing in growing in personal development in your own leadership when you are able to do that when I was able to do that over even you know the different therapy things that I did do my breakthrough personally was in my own growth in my own leadership in my life in my marriage and myself and my career and really being authentic and truthful in what I wanted. Um, and so that really, I think, is a core component for moms in general. I think maternal leadership, that's why I call myself a maternal leadership coach, because I think that that in itself is very powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that you, you touched on it much earlier on in this interview is about how, you know, you do lose confidence in your ability to make decisions when you're suffering mm -hmm. from perinatal illness. And I mean, that's the thing that I couldn't quite comprehend was how I a supposedly on paper, fairly successful person within the TV industry was reduced to, you know, I, I couldn't make decisions. I couldn't trust my own instincts. Um, and I was totally reduced to a shadow of myself. And I think sort of, as you say, stepping back into your power and having that confidence and also that self-awareness to say, actually, you know what, this is what I want out of, of life. I think that is such an empowering thing. And um, I love that you're sharing all of your expertise with fellow mums out there. If you had one message to say to yourself when you were really struggling, when you were going through it and when you yeah. had lost yourself, what, what would you say? I would tell myself that you haven't lost yourself. You're actually in there. Read your heart, reconnect with your heart because that never changes and it is always true to you and you have that. So if you're looking for something, if you're looking for your power, you don't have to look outside of yourself. You really can just tune in here and reconnect. Fabulous. And in terms of somebody who's going through it at the moment, mm -hmm. what would you like to, to say to them? 
Yeah, that you know, you're you matter and you're you're seen and you're heard. You are not alone. We have all gone through the darkness. Um, and, and you can get your way to the light. It doesn't have to be that you're going to live the rest of your life, you know, feeling sad, irritable, angry, um, lost. You know, this this is just a, a darker season that you can break through. Yeah. And, and you absolutely will come through and get to the other end. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amy. You've been such an inspiring person to speak to. And um, yeah, I love that you're you're sort of spreading the the goodness to other women. And I think the more we can share our stories and help each other up, society yeah. will be all the better for having more of us out there. Cheerleading. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you, Vicky, for um, hosting this podcast and having me on. I appreciate it. I've absolutely loved chatting to you this afternoon. So uh, thank oh, you. Thank you. And uh, you are so eloquent considering it's still early in the morning, your end. Uh, <laughs> must have been the waffle, the, the waffle and the Nutella. Nutella waffles and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's like every food group ticked. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode of Blue Mum Days, please like and subscribe. It really does make the difference in helping other people find it. And that means helping more parents. Thank you.